Welcome to the COSEC Show. Join the COSEC Qatari Securities team as they share their insights on the Australian share market, discussing some of their best performing companies, macroeconomic news from offshore, including local domestic news, foreign exchange, as well as commodities. If you have any questions regarding the share market, our phone lines are open. You can dial in on 1300 854 151 or alternatively, email info at cosec.com.au. Exclusively on this show, each guest will reveal their hottest stock pick. For more information on any of the topics discussed, go to cosec.com.au. The information featured in this program is general in nature and does not take into account your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Guests appearing on the program may own or have commercial arrangements with some of the companies mentioned. Before making any investment insurance or financial planning decisions, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Good evening, investors. My name is Will Brownlee, and welcome to the COSEC Show, where we discuss all things relevant in the market this week. Macroeconomic data, currencies and commodities, top performance of the week that was, and of course, our hottest stock picks for the week to come. Before I go any further, please allow me to introduce you to my investment panel, resident experts in the market. To my left, the ever slick Mr. Dennis Henovic. How are you today, good sir? Good, mate. Yourself? And back in the hot seat in front of me, as always, Mr. By the Dip Dan. How high are you going to go, Howie? Mr. Dan, Howie, how are you, good sir? Very well, thank you, Will. How are you? Very good. Gentlemen, welcome to what has been a relatively lacklustre week. Two weeks ago, we had a very, very positive week. Last week, we had a pretty of a, a negative week. This week has been absolutely nothing. Care to unpack it a little bit for us, Mr. Dan Howie? Yeah, you're pretty spot on, pretty lacklustre week. I think we've almost finished the week dead flat, mm-hmm. within two-tenths of one percent of flat. So very, very lacklustre week, as you said. Um, there is still a fair bit of news to unpack, though. I think the big thing was uh, producer prices out of the US was a big one. Um, so last week we spoke about CPI, um, which is the Consumer Price Index. This week we had PPI out of America, which is your Producer Price Index, um, which is, I guess, the the price that a lot of businesses are paying for their inputs, right? So it's at the next level. It's mm-hmm. your, your wholesale prices. Okay. Um, and they eased as well, again, which is positive. So more than expected. So again, we're still getting signals inflation could potentially be peaking over in the US. So... If I give you some of the statistics, uh, the producer price index rose 8% on a year-on-year basis, which was down from 8.4 in September and 11.7 in March. So again... Still high, but going down. Mm. Exactly right. Exactly the same as CPI. The figures, if you look at and compare them month on month, um, the decreases have been quite similar. Which so is an optimistic person would say maybe we're at the peak of a lot of these things. Potentially. And I'll bring up a chart here. It's very easy to visualise it when you look at this. You can see there... Um, to exactly, I guess, perfect peaks looking on those two charts there. You can see there um, 0.2 of a percent, so two-tenths of a percent increase month on month. The expectation was four-tenths, um, which would have brought the reading to 8.3. So we were a fair bit lower than expected, which was very positive. Um, and off the back of that, we did see some quite positive Fed comments to start the week uh, by Fed Vice Chair uh, Brainard. And she said on Monday that it is likely... Uh, will be appropriate soon to shift to a slower pace of rate increases. And what that saw was the dollar dropped very fast and gold went up and stocks went up. And yeah, so then it's all sort of been reversed back down again. Exactly right. It was almost what's happened at the start of the week, whether you're looking at stocks, whether you're looking at commodities, whether you're looking at currencies. Um, whatever did well at the start of the week had a bit of a soft end to the week. Whatever had a bit of a softer start to the week did well at the end of the week, which is why a lot of 
uh, indexes, a lot of stocks, and a lot of commodities traded pretty flat this week. I know we got a, an email just in a little bit before from Andrew and Melanie, a clients of ours, and they've actually asked if we could give a little bit of light on what's happening over with Twitter at the moment. Care to give us a bit of an insight yeah. what's happening there? Twitter is a very... Ever since the sync incident, it's all sort of been... <laughs> it's um, It really highlights how hardcore Elon Musk is this week. Um, so the, the articles that have unfolded this week, a big one is that um, he's basically pushing so hard to get people to work at a very high level, and hundreds of people are now looking to basically voluntarily leave the company. So he sacked a lot of people last week, and now he's pushing and, I guess, raising the standards of work, and hundreds of people now are set to leave in coming days. I hate to play devil's advocate here, but when you think about it, obviously Elon Musk is very famous for having outrageous ambition and outrageous so. timelines, and very, very famous for doing that with Tesla and doing that with that thing, and with SpaceX. Absolutely. Didn't he hire an island or something for the SpaceX crew and he locked them into the island and said they got to work? Or? Well, get this. So, and, and basically, a survey was sent to all Twitter employees' oh email. God, that's not good. <laughs> and you, you responded and it was an anonymous answer. So basically, sure. they were trying to gauge on, on what people's sentiment was to what he was mm-hmm. implementing. Um, and the answers to the survey, there was two answers to this survey that were sent out to Twitter employees, which was basically, these are the new standards. Um, you either commit to them or you're out and the answers were either yes I want to stay I'm hardcore or I'm taking the exit option I'm free (laughs) 42% answered taking the exit 25% said they reluctantly clicked yes I'm hardcore and the rest clicked yes so that's pretty high that's sitting at 67% 42 of which said straight away I want to be out 25% said yes but very reluctantly so nearly three quarters of their employees but it's just happy. so. I mean, you've got a guy who's very hardcore coming into a business, which is now I don't know. I've never worked in a tech company, but I do know what finance is like, and I do know what corporates, certainly here in Australia, and certainly abroad, corporates relatively hardcore. You know, everyone works long hours. It's everyone, hardcore, yeah. everyone signs up for working longer hours, and you know, obviously, yeah. But I think their expectations probably there with corporate. You come into stockbroking, mm. you come into investment banking, finance, and I think with engineering, if you've got hardcore KPIs to hit with the manufacturing of, of cars, and you're trying to, you know, reinvigorate sort of where things are going, that could also be hardcore. But I just don't know if it's like a twit, a company, a social media company is. Yeah, I think it's quite out of the norm for that sector, mm-hmm. which is why it's. I guess the people working there are used to a certain way of life and a certain way. I guess a culture at work, mm-hmm. so it's a big shock to them. Um, so on Wednesday, Musk actually sent out an email to Twitter employees that says, go. this is the quote from Elon Musk, going forward, to build a breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an increasingly competitive world, we will need to be extremely hardcore. So that's what he sent out before this anonymous survey the following day. <laughs> Sounds like someone else I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I, I checked my emails this morning. Yeah. The same one was there. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's. Um, I, I think that's really the big idea here is that it's quite out of the norm for that sector and that type of business. Whereas when we talk about corporate, it's it's almost the expected. You come in, um, the expectations there to work big, hard, long hours and very intense, and that's what he's really trying to, I guess, implement into. Um, you know, a social media. Interesting to see. I'll be very interested to see what's going to happen from there, what's going to happen with that. And he has also said they might get someone to come in and start running the company, see what they're like. All very interesting things. But enough about that, enough about Twitter, enough about Elon Musk. Let's go over to Mr. Sahanovic because mm-hmm. you've got a bit of a chart analysis on two charts, the US and also what we've done this week. Yeah. Care to enlighten us? So I just want to start with the XK first of all. If you bring up a chart very quickly, obviously, as Dan mentioned, uh, very briefly earlier on, we haven't seen too much movement this week. We're up about one-tenth of a percent. 
um, you know, throughout the whole trading week. So very little movement there. But what I really want to highlight is the positive movement we've seen over the last couple of months. Obviously, when you see that trend line that we've uh, sort of respected in over the last, I'd say, six or seven months, uh, very recently we've broken out of that. And considering that we've stayed flat this week and held up on that support level, I think that's very positive. Uh, I think maybe early next week we could see another movement towards the north. But I guess overall, when we have a look at the broader uh, sort of scale of things, we have seen some very positive movements for the XKO. And I think that we could potentially see another, you know, uh, rally towards the end of this, uh, you know, year's sort of Christmas period um, approaches pretty quickly. I'll also pull up the chart of the S&P 500 as well. I think this is a chart that isn't looking as good as our local index. Obviously, down 2% this uh, so far this week. The last time I checked, the futures were relatively flat as well, so we could see another flat day um, coming tonight. But you can see that early in the week, the S&P 500 used that uh, EMA perfectly as resistance, got sold down below it. I think if we do make another high or low there, that it could be, you know, come to retest that simple moving average, but it's still really respecting that downward trend. Um, and I think the position we're in here locally is, you know, much better than... Oh, well, just look at those charts. Like. You look at those charts. Wow! Like mm. if you're gonna buy, if you had to buy one or the other, you'd certainly be looking at buying. Yeah, so absolutely, absolutely mm. crazy. Now, listen. Let's talk about another thing because we've got a quite a big political thing that's happening at the moment. I know that Anthony Albanese has gone over and met with um, Chinese president over in Bali mm-hmm. at the COP twenty something. The COP G twenty. That's it. Mm. There we go. <laughs> and um, they've obviously sort of. Uh, I suppose, come to some sort of agreements about maybe thawing the relationships. I know that this is the first time that an Australian prime uh, prime minister has met the Chinese president since Malcolm, Malcolm Turnbull. Turnbull. Is that right? 2016. 2016. Right? So, yeah. Six years. huge. I mean, huge. And he's only been in the job for like three or four months. So, certainly making waves and it's looking quite good. What do we all think about that, Dan? Yeah, well, it's obviously very positive. If you look at the outcome from that, um, I guess the comments that arose from that were that there's still a long way to go to have the relationship back where it was probably eight, ten years ago because mm-hmm. um, there has been a lot of tension with China, not just from us, but us, but the broader Western world in recent years, um, especially this year with their ties to Russia Donald as well. Trump calling it the, uh, the, the Chinese virus didn't help. Yeah, course. exactly. So there's a lot of things that have China gone on. Virus. But basically the outcome that came, and Joe Biden also met with them as well. So the comments were quite similar between those leaders, and it was that it's a, a big step in the right direction to mending the relationship, which is obviously going to be very positive for trade. Um, we know that um, the Chinese government have pledged a huge amount of funds over the last couple of months to infrastructure, infrastructure yeah. and housing, real estate. Like Iron um, ore shot up, because then we can discuss that in the next section. And that's mm-hmm. what I mean. I, I think um, the, the better relationship there will impact trade quite positively, us being a huge exporting country. Um, and an index, especially when we look at equities, that is very heavily materials focused, uh, I think it could be quite positive. Very good. And I'm mean, talking about Donald Trump, just while we kind of skated over that very quickly. But he's put his hat back in the ring for the 2024 election. One of the things that's always, I, I can, because I remember watching Joe Biden and, um, and Obama back when they were in office. And I remember watching them and they were running around and they had that whole joke that they used to run to, to keep fit and their suits and ties. And they looked quite energetic. Then literally you saw Biden get into office and within quite literally a year he just looked like he was completely dying and <laughs> I looked at Trump and he's done four years in office and he looks just as he looks very the same as what he was when he when he left I'm not saying he looks good or bad but it's interesting it doesn't seem to have phased him too much this whole thing but he's put his hat back in the ringer for 24 the election in 2024 what do we think is going to get back in or 
Well, I think when we had a look at the midterms, I think everyone was expecting a bit of a, you know, a dominant Republican mm, win. Mm. However, we've seen the exact sort of, um, you know, result that we saw yeah, last yeah, time yeah. where it was very even between um, both Democrats and Republicans. So I think it'll be, um, you know, a difficult election, upcoming election, but I think that he ha- definitely does have a good, you know, strong Is he going to go against Biden? Is, he gonna go, is, that, is that the idea that he's going to go well, against... Biden said he wants to run again, correct? Uh, the big thing will be... The next 12 to 80 months for Americans. I think if you... It's a long way away, isn't it? It's a long way mm. away. So I think, like Dennis said, if it was to be right now, it'd be very, very close. Like it's The midterms highlight how close it is right mm. now in mm. America with the split between parties and leaders as well. But the next 12 to 18 months, if you look at what a lot of you know investors are saying, a lot of big institutions are saying, um, the broader sentiment is that although uh, we could start to see things stabilise, it will still be a pretty rough... 12 months for a lot of people. There's pretty split on whether US will go into recession, but at the moment, you know, although it's coming down, inflation's still very elevated. Um, interest rates are going to, look, looks like they're going to keep going up. Um, so it seems like the next 12 months could be pretty tough for Americans. Um, and yeah, I, I think the next 12 to 18 months will be the big telling signal of, of that election. Very good. Well, thanks very much, gentlemen. That is great analysis. As always, we're going to take a short break. And if you do have any questions for our panel, please feel free to take a video and email it through to us at info at cosec.com.au. Alternatively, dial 1300 154 Now, everyone who does this will receive a copy of our book, Stock Market Success, Retailing and Dimmicks for $39.95. In the meantime, we're going to take that quick break and we'll be back shortly with your currency and commodity overview. How do you get the highest returns in the stock market on a consistent basis? Obsessed with this idea, Michael Kadari forms COSEC, Kadari Securities. He seeks, in his own words, a revolutionary investment strategy based on better information and knowledge. Wealth begins with better knowledge, becomes his motto. He seeks to identify and accurately pick the next top performing stocks on the ASX. He seeks for consistency. Michael Kadari creates a unique stock market filtering system he names Lotus Bloom, named after a flower that blooms just once. Because in investing, timing is everything. See how accurate COSEC stock picks are. Get a free seven-day access to Lotus Blue today. If you want the COSEC investment edge, you know what you have to do. Call COSEC now or visit cosec.com.au and take advantage of the insights he reserves for his clients. Welcome back. Let's talk currencies and commodities now. All things that shine, sparkle, fold, make the world go round. We'll go straight over to Mr. Buy the Dip, Dan. How high can it go, Howie? Mr. Dan Howie, talk to us about gold. We are seeing it a little bit higher. How high can it go? Yeah, well, so I guess this week, we've. Se- I guess let's firstly start with what you're mentioning. The last couple of weeks, a very bullish break in trend for gold. A huge reversal. It was sitting quite low. Lots of support was created, and then it's finally broken that trend very, very bullishly in recent weeks. This week, though, gold was pretty lacklustre. Not a lot of shine on it this week. It was traded very similar to the market. It was almost dead flat, down about one-tenth. Um, so not a lot. Um, and as we were saying, this is one of the ones that started the week very positively, uh, but ended the week a little bit softer. So if we look at where it's trading technically, I'll pull up a chart really quick. You can see there this week, not a lot of movement, quite flat. 
Um, you can't see them on there. Everything was flat this week, really. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you look at there, it's not on the chart there, but it's trading in between its 200-day exponential and simple moving average. So finding support and resistance at each of those when we talk technically. Um, I guess the start of the week, it started quite positively off the back of um, some bullish comments uh, that we did see from the Fed, maybe. It's interesting, I'll interject there, it's interesting what you've just said about it's trading in between its 200-day exponential moving average and its 200-day moving average. Now, a stock can hit resistance at a moving average, whether that's exponential or moving, and it can hit support. So I wonder, uh, is it just now figuring out that's which one it's, it's going to be? It's, it's essentially this week speaking it's, the, Yeah, so the, the first trading day of the week pushed up, or the second day, sorry, Tuesday, it hit the moving average as resistance, come down and then overnight last night used the exponential as support. So it's essentially bouncing in between them at the Clearly moment. Clearly we're technical nerds, but there you go. <laughs> but um, as I said, the, the start of the week, if we look at Fed comments, that was when uh, the Fed vice chair said potentially looking to slow rates, mm-hmm. increase the rate of... So they're thinking 25 or 50 for the end of the it's, year? It's almost... It's the same as the, the way gold traded. It's the start of the week. Hard, hard start of the week, they're saying maybe a bit less. End of the week, they're saying... But not 75 is what we're no, kind so of it's, indicating. It's the biggest chance of either 25 or 50. It's probably pretty split at the moment. but probably Surely 50. And then 50, then 25 in Feb. Yeah, so the start of the week, it was it was uh, the Fed vice chair saying we're probably looking likely we'll slow down the pace of rates. So gold reacted positively to that. Um, the end of the week, we saw some hawkish comments from the Fed saying maybe we need to go 50 again because inflation's still very elevated. Depends which... Um, policy Depends how they feel on speaking, the day, Because really. that was the Fed Vice Chair, her surname's Brainard and Bullard. Mm. It's almost funny, he's, um, his surname's yeah, Bullard, related to financial markets. But anyway, I he... Get, I don't get it. I'm not going to explain it. He, he came out and um, he was a bit more hawkish. So at the end of the week, it was overnight last night, he's come out and said that uh, they're probably more likely for 50. US dollar had a bit of a bounce, gold had a slight retraction. So... Bit of push and pull this week, but pretty lackluster down about one-tenth. Very good. So uh, let's talk about something that is not looking very good at the moment at mm. all, uh, Mr. Sahinovic. We're looking at the price of oil. That's been going in a pretty negative direction. Uh, I know I looked at it on the charts, and I said, wow, that looks like a pretty big sell. Yeah, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, not the best sort of time for uh, crude prices. Down 7% again uh, this week. So it's currently... 7%? Si- yeah, 7%. So currently trading $82 a barrel for WTI and $90 for Brent. Uh, but if we have a look at some major news for news uh, for um, oil this week, we see that Joe, uh, Joe Biden is considering to um, the nation. So what he's basically doing is he wants to increase the reserve levels. So he's trying to tame wasn't inflation. That the, wasn't that the idea that Donald Trump had back when exactly. he was trading at 20 bucks? Yeah, it was 20 yeah. bucks a barrel. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty good. But yeah, obviously he's been digging into the reserves and now he's trying to build them up again. So what he's doing is he's basically getting suppliers to put aside a certain amount of the oil production into barrels and storing them into their reserves. So the idea is to push down prices over the long term, but we could see a bit of a squeeze in the shorter term off the back of that because oil that could be going in the market now has to go into the reserves. So I think we could potentially off the back of that, if we have a look at the chart of of, um, oil very uh, quickly, you can see that it has seen a negative sort of pullback over the last couple of weeks, but I think uh, we could bounce off that level of support if you draw a uh, nice level of support there, as you can see. Uh, it is potentially seeing some a bit of a rebound off that. So I think off the back of this macro news, we could see some buying pressure for oil. But I think over the longer term, off the back of that news, that we could see a further decline. So, um, yeah, pretty choppy sessions recently for oil. Very good. Listen, let's go over straight over to uh, crypto, because I do want to have a chat about that, because we've obviously had that big 
scandal with the what, mm. what's happened. FTX. Uh, FTX completely. And it just gets <clears throat> more and more fun to read about as we go through. Originally, it was just a firm that went bankrupt. They did a few naughty things. And now it turns out that they've just been doing a whole lot of other you know, Mate, the news frat that house un- stuff. <laughs> the news that unfolds day in, day out about this, the overnight. So uh, start at the beginning. What happened? What was the original issue? What was the, what happened? It was a crypto exchange and what happened? Essentially, the funds that customers were putting into their accounts, they were taking those funds and using it in ways that are not legal. They were... They were invest- Bar- borrowing and leveraging. Borrowing and leveraging. They were investing in very, very risky venture capital deals, private so equity essentially, deals. So essentially they were taking, I, you'd give me money, I'm FTX, you'd give me money and say invest it for me. I'd be like, yep, no worries, I'll go do that. And then on the back no, no, end. No, no, but it's like, I, it was like I want to buy, it's up to the client. FTX wasn't giving any advice and saying yeah. you buy this. That I'd say I want to buy Bitcoin and I'm buying it. And then you have my funds and you have my Bitcoin. And they were taking that. And Instead of buying Bitcoin, they'd go and <clears throat> whack it into some spec. Yeah, they were basically taking people's funds. or like if People had cash in their accounts that was on linked to FTX. Mm-hmm. They were basically using that as if it was their own capital to invest so, in whatever they wanted. So if, it was, if there was anything in fiat currency or anything like that, then they'd go and spend. Wow. And, and also using what they had pulled in clients' crypto. So if they had Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever, they were leveraging off that to so then we'd ha- we have take like, out loans yeah, and we buy have f- 500 million of crypto, we're going to leverage that 10 to 1 and go and buy stuff. Yeah, or you use that, say, to big institutions. We have these assets. We've got 500 million or go two, to a bank 2 billion and say, I've got these assets. I want to take out a but loan you don't. and <laughs> use that as collateral. Crazy. Which is and what made a blob initially. But the other things that have been unfolding this week, they've been using clients' funds to buy employees' houses. The $40 million house that SBF was living in in the Bahamas was bought with client money. And it was like... 13 of them, all the founders all living there or all something? All living there, doing all kinds of things. <laughs> um, the FTX head fund, hedge fund, which is called Almeida yeah. Hedge Fund, which was linked to FTX, they lent SBF personally $3.3 billion. Wasn't it the guy? Didn't they just leave it? Like they, they, they lent it to him. It's yeah. a personal loan of $3.3 oh. billion. So uh, the news that unfolds day and day out just seems to astound me of what's going on. Like, this is... There's some guy that's doing. He came into FTX to basically deal with the bankruptcy and the mm-hmm. liquidation of the whole of whole firm. He's like, we don't even know where the money is. He <laughs> said, we don't know where it is. He said he's dealt with some of the biggest bankruptcies in the past. He was part of Lehman Brothers mm. in 2008. He said, I've never seen anything like it. Of this, yeah. Scale he turned up and he said, I don't even know where they're storing their crypto. I all their <laughs> all their cash reserves. They know they know nothing. Like it's just. And this guy's going to go to jail. The the head. Whatever. I his mean, name if is? you look at the news as unfolded, like I, I'm not that well-versed on the mm, mm. U.S. legal system, but face value of what's happened, it would almost seem inevitable. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Great analysis as always. So that's commodities and currencies, and that's the events that shape them. Now, are you a bull or a bear? Let us know. one 800 Our phone lines are now open. But for now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to have a look at what the best and worst performers in Australia were this week.
Welcome back. Let's move on to our next section now and take a look at what the best and the worst performers for the week were. Were there tears shed this week? Who lost money? And who has Christmas come early for? Let's go straight over to Mr. By the Dip Dan. How high can it go? Howie, tears shed, Christmas come early. Let's take a look at your chart, good sir. Yeah, so we'll pull it up straight away. Across the board, gains actually relatively um, fruitful this week for a lot of sectors. I know some of the smaller sectors there performed so quite well. So despite the fact that the market was flat, if you were picking sectors, you would have done quite well. Exactly right. Still a stock pickers market. You can see that IT, information technology, had a very positive week this week, up 6%. Materials, 55 We've seen a lot about iron ore plays rebound very positively off uh, you know, a big reversal in the price of iron ore recently. The spot price, I think, is nearly at 100 bucks. Two weeks ago, was below 80 So I big Dennis is going to talk about that in a bit yeah, as well. So yeah, so a big turnaround on iron ore price. Materials done well. But across the board, you can still see healthcare doing quite well. Uh, up over three percent. Healthy movements, isn't it? Yeah, and then it, your consumer, your consumer sectors, two percent, and real estate, two percent as well. The only lag is this week: utilities uh, and energy slightly down about half a percent. So lacking a bit of energy there. I completely understand. Completely understand. Let's go over to the gold sector because that is one that has been doing really well. We've had some phenomenal gold stocks that we've picked on the show. Perseus Mining, Northern Star Resources, both have done very well and both have continued to move in a positive direction. Talk to us about what's happening with these gold players. Can they keep going? Can they keep running? Yeah, I think it depends. Again, it's still the stock pickers market. Like Perseus Mining is very, very elevated now. I think it's nearly at an all-time high. Um, so potentially maybe taking profits off the table there. The, across the board this week, for your gold plays, a fairly lacklustre week as the price of gold didn't really do a whole lot. So most of them are just consolidating at the moment, finished maybe slightly lower. But I think there is still a few that are looking quite attractive. I think uh, one. I think Dennis spoke about Evolution Mining oh, yep. yeah, last, week. last week. That's still looking, I think, very good. As that's up quite a bit from where you mentioned it, so that's good despite the fact that the market's down. It's very interesting, gentlemen, because back in 2017, 2018, sectors all performed very similar to each other. Obviously, there's outliers, and if anyone's listening, obviously there's outliers, but all the gold stocks more or less moved in the same sort of way. Not identical, but now you've got some like SSR Mining, which are dead flat. You've got some like Persis, which are on their all-time highs. And you've got some like Newcrest and Northern Star, which are, have had good runs, but they're nowhere near even halfway up their all-time high. Yeah. And it's the same thing back in 2017 with tech stocks. A lot of tech stocks, Appen, Altium, WiseTech, they were all moving in the same sort of way. Now you've got WiseTech, Resilient, Appen just is just going down like you wouldn't believe. And you've got Altium, which is in this range. It's very, very interesting to see stock pickers market. Exactly right. And I think if you look at the charts across the board of sectors now, it highlights that exact point. So there's still a few gold plays looking very attractive. Perseus Mining's obviously done very well, but you know the longer you hold something like that, the riskier it gets. Maybe taking some profits off the table, not a bad decision, as they say. Keep tuning be... into the show. We will tell you exactly when to buy. Exactly right. And to, and to sell sometimes as well. You know, but it's like, you know, what do they say? You never go broke taking a profit. So, Absolutely. But there's still Evolution Mining still sitting quite low. Northern Star's still quite low on a broader range. Uh, even Newcrest Mining uh, still sitting quite low too. So there's still a lot of attractive-looking opportunities in that gold space at the moment. And I think if you look at the underlying commodity, although it's a lackluster week this week, the broader trend of gold still does seem to be looking quite positive and maybe the reversal could potentially continue. So 
Good strong week for a lot of them. Now, speaking of strong weeks and speaking of strength in general, let's talk about a man who is very strong. This is Dennis Sehendovic, and he's going to talk to you about iron ore because he certainly lists a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us what's happening with those sectors. Yeah, iron ore's done, uh, had a phenomenal run over the last three weeks, up 25%. If we pull up a chart very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. If I pull up a chart very quickly, you can see I've seen consecutive green candles, a lot of buying pressure there across the board. And we've also broken that downward trend for iron ore futures. So I think it's a space that's looking very attractive at the moment. We are seeing a lot of um, upward momentum over recent trading sessions. And we have seen a lot of businesses in the iron ore space really benefit off the back of that. Um, 16 point plan being released by China. Very yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, even the point we spoke about in the first section about um, you know, Australia and China sort of rebuilding their yeah, relationship. Yeah. I think that will have a huge effect on on um, a lot of our iron ore players as well. I mean, Champion Iron was up 15% um, over the last couple of weeks. Fortescue Metals has seen a huge spike in their share price. See the Rio. candle on that today. Yeah, Jeepers. it looks very, very good. We are seeing, you know, a big turnaround for a lot of these stocks that were quite heavily beaten down over the last few months or so. But we're sort of finally seeing a bit of spark and a bit of optimism for a lot of these businesses. So I think they could be potentially in areas of value at the moment. Very good, very good. Listen, I want to talk about something that's happened earlier this week, and that was lithium. Out of no idea what happened, no announcements, no nothing, all lithium stocks just had a huge crash. Mm. And like 10% in a day for some of these businesses, no reason, just seems to have done that. Uh, Kidda, enlighten us on your thoughts on that, Mr. Buy the Dip Down. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Obviously, there was no, like you said, blatant announcement to the market. Lithium prices are still very elevated. I think Just profit-taking? I think a lot of it is profit-taking. Mm. If you look across the board at where those stocks were sitting on that day, Liontown Resources... I was really hoping you were going to say, well, they've reached a very key Fibonacci level, which is <laughs> indicated as sell, and this is a tech... No, none of that? It was just... No, I mean, they're, they're all just... They were, a lot of them were sitting at all-time highs. Alchem had just made a new all-time high. Pilbara. Pilbara oh, yeah. was sitting up there, very, very, very elevated. Liontown had, Lion just, Town had yeah. just made an all-time high. Um, and that all just... It seems like people are just taking a lot of profit off the table. I know there's been a bit of volatility this week in the demand side of things from China. It does seem quite positive with what's going on um, as Dennis mentioned, with the trade between the US, uh, the US and China and also Australia and China. Um, but across the board, there's still a little bit of volatility and, I guess, uncertainty with regards to demand for lithium. Um, so that sort of sparked a little bit of, I guess, selling. And I guess, as you said, a lot of people's um, portfolios would be sitting in a very healthy profit for those. So any sort of uncertainty, I think people are happy to take some profit off the table, and that's probably what we saw, I'd say. At long term, are you still both bulls? Oh, absolutely. On? I think uh, Pilbara Minerals also announced that they'll be The first paying one a paying dividend. a dividend, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, interesting stuff. They're finally becoming, you know, earning, um, becoming fundamentally sound companies and, you know, bringing in good cash well, flow revenues the old and earnings. And, yeah, I mean, that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's the old debate, isn't it? If, you get, if you've got spare capital, do you pay it back to investors or do you invest it in making the company better? Mm. And it's like, well, a lot of people will say, well, I know Benjamin Graham, who obviously taught Warren Buffett or had a big influence over Warren Buffett, he's very famous for saying he thinks that one of the biggest fundamental signs of a good healthy company is if it pays a dividend regularly and continues to increase the amount of dividend that it pays. That's one of his key metrics. But there's a lot of, lot of tech companies that say we don't pay a dividend because we think we can utilise that by increasing the share price to reinvest. Thoughts on either one of those sort of theories, Dan? That's a really tough question to answer. I think um, definitely, you know, there's got it, it does depend on sector. 
Like yeah, of course. Because how can you make banks better? It's like it's not like you can go and start new banks and stuff like exactly that. Exactly right. So like that's and the banks do pay a, a decent dividend. It's not too bad. But if you look at tech companies, I think healthcare companies are an interesting one. I think healthcare um, there needs to be a lot of reinvestment into yeah, research and development. Yeah, because they don't pay much for dividend. You know, either. research and development with a lot of these businesses, the big breakthrough for them in their share price will be if they can you know come find out a re- f- find a drug exactly or. right, and that's exactly why they need to in- reinvest a lot of their money. Mining sector is an interesting one. Our miners pay the best dividends, yet you think, especially some of these small lithium players, which is probably why they don't pay one now, a lot of money going into exploration and development. Um, but I get across the board, miners pay a pretty good dividend. So you'd think uh, still a lot of money could go into expo- exploring mm, mm, mm. new mines, new areas, trying to find more, and that's obviously going to bump up their share, share price. But I think across the board, um, it's a difficult question to answer. I think coming from, I guess, if, if I was in the shareholder's shoes, mm. you probably want a bit of both. Mm. You do want to get a dividend, um, but you do also want the company reinvesting because otherwise the, it's very hard to see you know, strong... But future growth. Yeah, future growth and strong growth strategy without that money being reinvested into the business, regardless of where it comes from. Very good. Great analysis as always. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So... That's the best and the worst for the week, and that's the events that shaped them. For now, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll come back with the final section of the show. How do you get the highest returns in the stock market on a consistent basis? Obsessed with this idea, Michael Kadari forms COSEC, Kadari Securities. He seeks, in his own words, a revolutionary investment strategy based on better information and knowledge. Wealth begins with better knowledge, becomes his motto. He seeks to identify and accurately pick the next top-performing stocks on the ASX. He seeks for consistency. Michael Kadari creates a unique stock market filtering system he names Lotus Bloom, named after a flower that blooms just once. Because in investing, timing is everything. See how accurate COSEX stock picks are. Get a free seven-day access to Lotus Blue today. If you want the COSEC investment edge, you know what you have to do. Call COSEC now or visit cosec.com.au and take advantage of the insights he reserves for his clients. Welcome back. Now, do you have a stock that you think is looking good? Do you think you might have found the next big thing? Why not take a video and email it through to us at info at cosec.com.au or send a text 0422-972-897. Tell us what the stock is. Tell us why you like it. And we're going to track it over the week. The person that tips the best performing stock will receive their very own gold-plated Kadari bull and bear cufflinks. To get things started, let's take a look at what our investment panel is looking at for the week to come. This is this week's Hot Opportunity. So this is what investors are really looking for. We know what gold, oil, and the dollar has done. We know what the top performers of the week were. Now let's find out what our investment panel is looking at for the week to come. We'll start off with Mr. Dan Howie. What are you looking at this week, and why do you like it so much for the week to come? Yeah, so I am looking at the sector that did perform best this week, and it is information technology. And my pick this week is Data3. So their secret code is DTL. Um, Data3 is a leading Australian technology solutions and services provider. So essentially what they do is they have been constantly evolving their product offering, looking at um, solutions such as the cloud, modern workplace, security, 
uh, data and analytics and connectivity as well. So they're a business that very much benefited from a lot of people working from home. Um, a lot of products they offer do assist with those areas and also the services of installing them and operating them as well. So quite a diverse IT company and a company that is quite large in that tech space in Australia. Um, and across the board, I think there is still a lot of people working from home. I think if you look at the city of Sydney now, you look at the rental market for office mm-hmm. spaces, dirt cheap because so many off, so many companies have said we're just not going to come back working from home. And also us. the other thing is, even though there's no room, there's no movements that we might be going into lockdown, but I do know that in Queensland they've got a massive spike in COVID cases and now they are recommending people wear masks. Now, even if your government is saying we recommend you wear a mask, it's kind of saying, well, hold on, we recommend that you don't come to the office because you might infect people. Is it, that right? It, I think it is, it's definitely going to give that sentiment, right? If you're staying in the office, and I think COVID cases are up 75% mm-hmm. in the last mm-hmm. month, if you're staying in the office, you're increasing the risk that people might get it and therefore not have, not come to work. So, if you so just data three is helpful because it helps people work from home. I think the sustained demand is there longer term. They've got some also some very large government contracts um, for new big developments of installing all their technology and software. I know there's a big one, I think a $2 billion contract for a big development up in Brisbane in the last couple of months. Um, but I think the long-term demand based on what's happened with COVID and a lot of people working from home... Um, is, is there longer term? Because as I said, a lot of companies have just said, working from home works better for us, reduces our risk, and we can actually, a lot of employees are happy to be, get paid less if they can work from home. So it works better for the employee, works better for the business, and therefore works better for Data3. So the macroeconomic landscape, I think, whether you're looking now or in the future, does very much suit this business. If you look at their fundamentals, very positive. I'm going to focus on a five-year period. Their sales have doubled as a business. Their earnings have doubled. Their return on equity is up 50% and their earnings per share is up 75%. So posting very strong fundamentals, uh, very positive growth strategy. If we look at what other brokers are saying, Morgan Stanley have an overweight at $7.30. That's about 8% upside. And Audmanet have a buy at $7.50, which is 11% upside. But both of those prices would be reaching an all-time high. It's sitting quite elevated at the moment, but after the AGM, they did receive some very positive upgrades. Lastly, I'll touch on the technicals. We'll pull it up there. As you can see, uh, it is trading quite high, but it is making consecutive higher lows and higher highs, trading above those longer-term moving averages. You can see a bit of a drop there with a pretty, I guess, a red <coughs> candlestick that came down to that bottom Donchin channel. Uh, but what that I see through there is very bullish price action because it's come down, hit the bottom Donchin, reluctant to push it lower, and it's got bought right back up throughout the session. So I think that's quite bullish, although it's a red candle. I think that really gave me a lot of conviction that potentially it could continue uptrending. And you can see at the moment just consolidating in that upper Donchin channel. So a little bit of volatility this week from Data3, but I think the price action, whether we look at it short term or over the last few weeks, still looks very bullish, I think. So I like Data3. Very, very good to hear. Love the story behind it. Really love the stock as well. Love the name Data3 as well. Very good friend of mine, Paul Molly. Big shout out to Paul. He's going to absolutely love that stock. I'll let him know about it because I'm sure he'll be very, very big fan of the name. Let's go over to Mr. Sahinovic. Mm-hmm. What is your pick for this week? Why do you like it so much for the week to come? Yeah, so the company I'm looking at this week is Credit Corp Group Limited. Their tick code is CCP. They're in the financial sector, and basically what they do, they're into debt purchasing and collection, as well as consumer lending. So essentially what they do is they buy debt off you know corporates, and they pay a cheaper price, and if they recover the money, they keep the difference. So that's how they get their money, and basically what we've seen with interest rate rises, we are seeing a trend of increasing defaults, not only on personal loans, mortgages, but also corporate loans as well. And I think Credit Corp is a company that could, you know, very much benefit off the back of that. So 
like them for that reason. I think macroeconomically makes a lot of sense. And also they are a fundamentally sound company. If you have a look at their sales over the last 10 odd years, they've been very stable, their cash flows and earnings as well. And also their institutional broker calls are very favorable as well. So they have three broker, uh, broker calls for the company, one from Morgan's, uh, they have ad recommendation uh, with a target price of $24.35. So that's suggesting about 20% upside. Uh, Ord Minette have a buy recommendation, $28 price target. So that's about 38% upside. And finally, from Macquarie, they have an outperform recommendation and a target price of $24.90, which is about 23% upside. So three very favorable broker calls, uh, which do suggest they could be undervalued. Lastly, if we have a look at the technicals, pull up a chart very quickly. All, cr- all credit to Credit Corp. That is certainly uh, looking like a bit of a turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a look at the chart, I mean, we've seen a big change in trends over the last month or so. They formed a, what we call a bullish flag pattern, uh, which saw a big spike in their share price consolidation. And now that we've seen another uh, big push towards the north, which broke their trend. And now they've just consolidated this week um, in the upper Donchian channel, gaining a lot of momentum. Uh, with consecutive high lows and high highs. And now I believe that, you know, early next week we could see another push towards the north, maybe closer to those moving averages, which is where we could potentially see the next sort of level of resistance. Very uh, that, that that hammer yesterday, that bullish hammer. Yeah, it looks put excellent. It in a, put it in a textbook. <laughs> put it in a textbook. textbook. We send it out to the textbook and say this is a textbook bullish hammer. I think... Uh, Talking about technicals is one of the great things that we do here at Coast. We love our technical indicators, but we love our fundamentals. And you'll probably all notice, uh, anyone watches the show, anyone who's been a fan of the show for a long time, we notice that all the stocks we pick are all very fundamentally sound, but we really want to hone in on the technicals because the worst thing is to buy a business and have it go down or buy a business and have it travel sideways while everything's going up. I mean, there's nothing more aggravating than that, certainly in this choppy market. Am I right? Absolutely. The, the idea, and I think a lot of people don't really understand what the statement means when we say you want to have your capital working harder for you. You, never, you want to basically buy a business at a point where you think the likelihood of it going down is as low as possible. Um, and then obviously on the, on the contrary to that, going up as, as quick as possible. So you never want to have your capital, obviously, firstly, never going down. Um, but we're obviously doing a lot of analysis to mitigate that risk and have protective measures in place. But trading sideways is almost just as bad. You know, y- your capital is doing nothing. It's it's almost like having it at the bank. Absolutely. If you're not if you're not using technical analysis to really pinpoint, mm-hmm. um, I guess uh, points on charts where businesses are mm. potentially going to break out, you know, it's um, almost wasting time. Absolutely. Time. Absolutely. So these two picks we believe are looking quite good. Data three looking very good. That's from Mr. Howie, and of course. To all credit to him, Mr. Credit Corp himself, looking very, very good as well. That's all we have. Thank you very, very much, gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in this week. On behalf of everyone here at the show, we want to wish, uh, we want to wish our friends and colleagues a safe and happy weekend, and we look forward to seeing you next week. My name has been Will Brownlee, and this has been The Cosec Show.